Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the Billboard Chartbeat Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts. And hey guys, I'm Trevor Anderson, chart manager here at Billboard. So if you listened last week, uh, we flash back to 1997. We counted down the top 40 songs on the Billboard Hot 100 20 years ago. We're going either forward or back to 2007. This week, we're going to go uh, 10 years in the past from 2017. We're going to count down the top 40 songs on the Hot 100 this week, July 2007. I mean, I remember, it's so funny, I remember when some of these songs came out, it's particularly like how a song we'll, we'll mention later, Umbrella by Rihanna, I remember when that came out, and like how everybody in school was just like sitting, I remember sitting in AP US History, and like the person I sat next to, uh, her name was Anita, shout out to Anita, we used to like just sing Umbrella back and forth, because we thought it was so good. Any more details about Anita you want to share with the world? No, we just, <laughs> no, no, but Anita is, well, Anita's great, Anita is great, um, she was our, she was the class valedictorian. That's about as far as we're going to get with Anita. Good. Um, again, Gary's trying to be Wendy Williams over here and, like, you know, start just diving in. That's that's as far as we go. That was a billboard already. I'd started in 2006. So I remember seeing these songs on the chart for the first time when they actually happened. Ten years later, we're looking back now. So, so any, any – uh, well, I guess we can – as we walk through them, we can – Gary can share any memories he had. I get to finally use that knowledge now. Ten years ago, Gary, see, Gary was already, you know, predicting podcasts in the future. He was way ahead of his time. Ten years in the making, this podcast. Um, and and here we are. All right. We'll also chat with Joe Riccatelli, RCA Records Executive VPGM. Uh, ten years ago, uh, he was uh, working with Pink and still is uh, now ten years later. She'd had kind of a downturn uh, on the charts after many hits in the early 2000s. But uh, by 2007, she was kind of in a, in a weird place in her career. And uh, the single You In Your Hand uh, came out, really didn't do anything at first, wound up becoming a record-setting number one on the pop songs chart. So we're going to get the whole uh, inside story uh, from Joe on how that song uh, took a long time, but eventually became a hit. And uh, we, we asked Joe uh, when we were over at RCA Records about other acts on RCA. So we'll get some uh, sneak preview of other RCA music. Well, let's do it. All right, let's kick off the top 40 this week on the Billboard Hot 100, 10 years ago, 2007. It's summertime, ladies looking hot, shaking up what they got, elephant men and cats, come on! Okay. 
Number 40, we kicked off the Hot 100 this week, 2007, with a pop act who was new at the time, Cat DeLuna, featuring Elephant Man, the song Wine Up. Uh, number 39, someone who's had a few more hits since then, Rihanna. It's the first Rihanna song we'll hear, not the last, on the countdown. Remember Shut Up and Drive? Number 39 this week in 2007. I do. Interesting about that song. Samples, New Orders, Blue Monday. And Rihanna kind of started her career sampling some of these uh, 80s hits, SOS, sampling... A soft sell. So this song kind of followed that format. She she really hasn't done that since. She's gone in so many other directions. But uh, Shut Up and Drive really uh, took that 80s alternatively. We know we're flashing back now because we're, we're talking early Rihanna at this point and how, how much she's changed. Yeah. I mean, this this was really when Rihanna was, uh, I, mean, I think, the, within the next year, really solidifying herself as a major, uh, major force and a major player in the pop world. Um, you know, the good girl gone bad era was the one that really – you know, just put her on the map. I mean, this is obviously Umbrella was huge at this time, and within the next year, it's going to be the Take a Bow, Disturbia kind of transformation. So, you know, Rihanna really doubling down and making herself a an established presence. All right, um, we'll certainly mention Umbrella coming up uh, as we continue on the countdown. Number thirty-eight, "Wipe Me Down" by Lil Boozy featuring Fox and Webby. That's yeah. I, okay, so this is one of those songs that is uh, <laughs> like like eternally in the canon um this song is i mean obviously i'm sure this was everywhere around atlanta especially one of those songs that particularly a lot of these groups kind of had these one-up bubbling hits you know we had crime mob a few years before i mean this is like the same time as part of like a rock star is big so a lot of these i mean it's going down young jock had been out the year before so a lot of these you know sort of southern hip-hop kind of one-hit wonders popping around feels like if uh, there had been uh, memes and, and uh, YouTube had been – because YouTube was pretty new in 2007. Maybe some of those type of hip-hop hits might have had uh, challenges or dances like they have now for these types of songs. Probably. <laughs> um, but, I mean, this it's even great. Like, this is one of those songs that Wipe Me Down is still – you know, it's – it lives on. Like, trust me. I mean, you can you can see it all over social media. Like, people will reference it a lot or you'll see, like, you know, a gift from – some some mention of it i mean it's not just a song that is obviously just lived in that moment i mean this is a song that the culture has really adapted and it just gets you hype you cannot listen to the song and not just just feel yourself uh number 37 e was new in the top 40 she was still going strong in the late uh in 2007 with tambourine with this with tambourine i was thinking i was like wait a minute that song okay so that song was put out 2007 
it was though like supposed to be from this this new album she had coming and that album actually i don't know what happened that album never showed up she put out an album in 2013 was her most recent and like her first one since since before this uh but it didn't have tambourine on it at all like all those songs she had worked on in this kind of 2000, 2007 era seemed to have vanished and just I mean, obviously, Live On is singles kind of out there, but never an album, never, I don't think, maybe even a video, I'm not even sure about. So, I don't know what happened to this this little lost era of Eve, but I heard Tambourine last week. Believe it or not, I, I was out and I heard it last week. Still, it's such a great song. I think it's a, so fun. I don't think it quite got the do that it should have, but glad to see it's getting some shine, at least this week. All right. At uh, number 36, we heard A Lost in This Moment from Big and Rich. Huge country hit. Uh, their biggest country hit. It's their actually only top 10 and went all the way to number one on the Hot Country Songs chart. You might think of uh, Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy. Actually, only got to number 11 on the country chart. So uh, this song right there was their biggest country hit. What was it, too, um, too novelty for country? Yeah, lyrically. It was a little, uh, little adventurous for, for some uh, family-friendly uh, country stations. But Lost in This Moment. Love song. Uh, nobody had a problem with that song. Ah, uh, yes. All right. Let's move on to number 35. All the homies, they know what I mean. Baby, let me show you how I lean. Like a cholo. Laid back, bounce in the car. When we do a dance, and we do it like what? Like a, like a cholo. Plant to side. Elbows up. Plant to side. Elbows up. And coming in at number 35, Lean Like a Cholo. Everybody remembers that song, though, and, little, you know, people used to do a little cholo dance to it. Again, one of those songs. Kind of, I mean, this is also, I guess, a few months before Crank That comes out. And that probably is the, I mean, got to be, obviously, the best known of these kind of dance, sort of this this first era of dance challenge going on. But um, Lean Like a Cholo was out. People used to do, I mean, like, it's going down from 2006. Had a little dance that went with the chorus there. Yeah. So, I mean, again, just... 
really the first the, the the predecessor ancestral wave to all the stuff we've seen in the past couple of years you know from uh watch me to juju on that beat and all of that so these are the ogs on that on that front all right moving on to number 34 we got uh nickelback coming in strong with rockstar it was a humorous rock song it parodies the rock star lifestyle and and a lot of rock that i feel like that's what's been missing in rock music for a long time acts sort of making fun of of the decadence of rock music and rock music is is pretty serious for what it is nowadays and this song just totally went in the face of that that's what made it so fun i think that's why it connected because they were sort of laughing at themselves makes sense i mean obviously nickelback um you know, would become the target of ridicule for so many people on the internet. So uh, maybe they were a little ahead of their time with that as well. All right, and we'll keep on climbing to number 33 this week. Um, an appearance from somebody we actually saw back on the 1997 chart as well. So 10 years later, still holding strong in the top 40. We got Bone Thugs and Harmony featuring Akon with the song I Tried. Bone Thugs obviously cementing their hip-hop legend at this point. Akon in the middle of a, a huge run himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of easy to forget because Akon has really been quiet, you know, for most of the last, most of this entire decade, really. Um, but Akon had a nice string of hits in that in that mid-2000s chapter. Uh, would have been the time of Smack That, would have been the time of I Want to Love You, Don't Matter, earlier in 2007. Yeah, there's other, so, there's other Akon coming up in the chart. His voice was so, it was on a lot of different hits, but it was it was so unique, or it still is so unique. Oh, yeah, it just, 100%. Yeah, it's a great voice. I, I, I can totally see why everyone wanted him to be featured on a lot of songs and why he had so much success with his own songs as well. And, I mean, talented writer, producer, as well, I mean, right. it was a you know 360 package. All right, and someone else who is the triple package of singing, songwriting, and producing. We got R. Kelly at 32. That's his duet with Usher, "Same Girl." And uh, if you guys remember the time, Usher was obviously coming off the huge Confessions album we had seen with Yeah and Burn My Boo, uh, Confessions Part Two, just really had ruled 2004. And a lot of people at this time were talking about you know R. Kelly had been sort of the the R and B guy of the 1990s usher coming in in the 2000s and so people were really you know saying you know is usher going to be the new king of r&b is he taking the crown from r kelly right so i think that r kelly you know wisely came up with this idea for the two of them to get together and duet an interesting song too because i mean it's kind of funny that they it's like this little sort of back and forth dialogue about you know them not realizing that they're messing with the same girl and eventually they kind of figure it out and it's so it's, it's kind of funny that tongue-in-cheek way that you know, R. Kelly had been doing Trapped in the Closet by this point, so he had kind of flexed that muscle already. And, you know, of course, with Usher on the track, I mean, it's great. All right, and climbing up to 31, we got – this is a this is a trio of hit makers who really, I mean, was indicative of the year 06, 07 in a nutshell. This is Give It To Me by Timbaland featuring Nelly Furtado and Justin Timberlake. So the song had peaked at number one earlier in the year. By this point, it had fallen back down to number 31. But um, if you remember the the trio powerhouse of uh, Nelly Furtado, JT, and Timbaland, you know, masterminding behind the scenes, um, this was huge. This is actually Timbaland's first foray into really being an artist on one of his songs. Nelly Furtado uh, had the Loose album the year before, JT coming off Future Sex Love Sound as well. So, I mean, three of them together were, you know, they were a little collective there for a minute. Also, you know, kind of as we flash forward from from 2007, uh, interesting that I think I said in 2010, Nelly Furtado apparently did an interview with uh, the Metro in the UK, and she actually says that she wishes they had not put out this song. She thought that, I mean, because most people probably don't catch this from the get go. It's 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 a little dis it's a diss song, 
to, you know, kind of veiled. Everyone has their own little target in their verse. Timbaland is supposedly going after Scott Storch. Nelly is beefing with Fergie. Justin, I'm not sure. Brittany might be in there somewhere. But apparently Nelly thought that it put a lot of negative energy out there. And she thought that, you know, looking back, she kind of wishes they hadn't. All right, let's uh, keep going. Uh, we're up to number 30 this week on the Hot 100, 2007. Damn, all these beautiful girls. They only want to do your dirt. They'll have you suicidal, suicidal when they say it's over. Jay Sean Kingston. Your way to Top 40 hits this week on the Billboard Hot 100. Ten years ago, this week, 2007, uh, we heard Beautiful Girls, Sean Kingston. He was rising. was actually the top gainer in airplay this week at number 30. Uh, would gone to be a four-week number one debut hit for Sean Kingston. Really different sounding song at the time. Obviously, it, it sampled Stand By Me by Benny King. Right. So it had the familiarity and it had, not just because his name is Kingston, but it, it had that, that reggae, uh, Jamaican uh, feel to it. It wound up being a huge summer hit. You talk about hits that are just perfectly timed for summer. Beautiful Girls with that sound was just absolutely perfect for, for when it was out. Yeah, I mean, that little, that easy reggae, you know, kind of island vibe, definitely one of the big things. Um, Sean Kingston from Jamaica as well. So, I mean, a natural tie-in right there. And one of the youngest guys we'd seen on the chart in a, in a, in a good while. I mean, it's only 17 when the song went to number one. So, uh, you know, bring it, bring it home for the teenagers as well. All I can think of when I hear that song is uh, Shoshana's karaoke version on Girls when she sang it. Not Gary as watches girls. I apparently I just uh, revealed that. I I didn't know. I, th- that's what you're going to learn this week on the podcast. Uh, number twenty nine, glamorous by Fergie featuring Ludacris. Very close to Nelly Furtado, who they may have been feuding. Uh, yeah, could have been. I, I'm still like now. I'm trying to dig up more info about that. But I think, and it's funny. I, I'm looking at a pop blog right now, and it the first diss, the first diss that somebody quotes is is that one from uh, from Fergalicious. So. I mean, Fergie, again, also in the middle of this ginormous run uh, in 2006, 2007. The album The Duchess had been out. 
Um, and really, she'd worked with the Black Eyed Peas, obviously, that gave her the platform to do this. But even, I think most people may have been surprised that the solo album really had eclipsed anything the Peas had done to this point. A- a- absolutely. And then uh, 2009, they would come out. The Peas would with, get their revenge. The, yeah, guess, so, yeah. So this, uh, Fergie really, in some ways, uh, kick-started just the, the absolute level of, of superstar uh, success they would rise to. And uh, yeah, both Fergie and uh, Nelly were, were both having good success. So maybe we just sort of call it a draw at this point perhaps and unfortunately flash forward 10 years and fergie no longer with the black eyed peas the you know they've i mean they've sort of parted ways and still waiting on that double duchess was supposedly supposed to be out at the top of the year um we heard a little bit from fergie last year with milf money and some other songs but um still still waiting on that sequel yeah there's there's a similarity between 2007 and 2017 at, at both times which is just one fergie solo album to that point. <laughs> yes. That same thing with, I guess, Lauren Hill, you know, at some point, too. Yep. All right. Uh, moving on to uh, number 28 in the Hot 100, Gwen Stefani featuring, of course, Akon, because it was 2007, The Sweet Escape. Got to number two. It's a, it feels like it could have been a number one hit for how well that song has lasted over the years. It's become a classic for Gwen Stefani. It's kind of interesting because I think maybe it depends on when you got into Gwen Stefani or, or, or where you were when this song came out. Because I think for a lot of kids, like, you know, I was back in high school, so I think a lot of kids for us, Hollaback Girl was the one that that we remember from this time more than any other thing. And who can forget the iconic B-A-N-A-N-A-S? That was ev- That's all, you know, any stupid joke ended with. It was great. <laughs> well, yeah, this is a, more of an adult kind of a song. C- kind of reminds me still of Madonna's Cherish a little bit, kind of that bouncy 60s leaning uh, sound. So, you know, Gwen went many different directions. This song, a little bit more on that adult side. Yeah, I mean, of course, one thing you would not have guessed at the time, I mean, really one of the last songs Gwen had put out before going on this really long break. Um, between projects she had you know just gotten back with no doubt together for a little bit there showed up on the voice as well finally putting out her third solo album just uh just last year so kind of similar to fergie just that she finally put out that album that that (laughs) took so long they put out some teasers around the same time actually i remember like um some songs with pharrell that gwen had been working on as well um but yeah gwen beats fergie to the punch all right uh, number 27 hannah montana nobody's perfect not Miley Cyrus, technically it was, but billed as, as Hannah Montana. She's got another song uh, coming up uh, here on the countdown in just a little bit. But this is when uh, the whole Hannah Montana movement absolutely exploded. And she had so many hits in 2006, 2007, this this time. And uh, number 26, we're going to start uh, hearing from American Idol's Elliot Yamin. Not one of the winners, but he, well, he wound up with a, a pretty decent hit, Wait For You. Uh, became a big hit. It was number 26 this week in 2007. Yeah, he was, I think, third place finisher on, on the fifth season of Idol. So that was behind Taylor Hicks the year he won and Catherine McPhee. I mean, I, yeah, that's one of those great pop songs. And I remember a lot of people were disappointed because they, they thought Elliot, obviously, a fantastic singer. But, yeah, I mean, I didn't realize it was – this big of its time, I remember liking the song, and I still do. But yeah, it yeah. showed that you know, Idol was so big, you didn't have to win to still just have so much recognition. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, Chris Daughtry proved that point extremely right. well as well. Jennifer Hudson, obviously, doing so great out there too. And uh, ten years later, we know Idol's coming back.
and bringing up that next segment of five songs uh we first heard number 25 this week on hot 100 back in 2007 the hot shot debut of the week so that's the highest debuting song on the chart another hannah montana we just heard her at number 27 here again at 25 with life's what you make it which is a very hannah montana song title it feels like <laughs> well yeah it's interesting too is you go back 10 years uh hannah montana number 25 and you go forward uh, 10 years to this week in, in 2007, as we're taping this, uh, Miley just went from number 25 to number 22. Actual Miley. The actual Miley with uh, with Malibu. So 10 years later, everything's changing around Miley on the chart, but she's she's right where she was. She's still got some, you know, the, the peacefulness is there. She was, she was in Malibu, chilling 10 years ago. Life's what you make it. Very, very positive, relaxing, good vibes coming from the Cyrus camp at this time. All right, uh, moving on to 24, we heard Linkin Park, What I've Done. So Linkin Park at that time, still holding strong. Obviously, they've been a force really throughout the entire decade and one of the biggest rock bands we'd see in all the 2000s. Um, on the album's front in particular, you know, Meteora and Hybrid Theory were just huge sellers. And uh, even in 2007, still getting top 10s with What I've Done, which was a number seven hit. And here's what, what stands out as a difference between now and 2007. We heard Nickelback uh, back at number 34 with Rockstar. And uh, we just heard uh, Linkin Park there with What I've Done. Both really heavy, uh, very crunchy guitar-based uh, uh, songs. You say, you say grungy or crunchy? Crunchy. Okay. A little crunchy. Well, mostly crunchy. Continue. Uh, but you don't hear that kind of uh, rock music in the top 40 now on the Hot 100. We've got Imagine Dragons with Believer, which, you know, a little more trap based. And it's just it's not not that wall of sound like we heard uh, back then from, you know, what Linkin Park made their name uh, doing stuff like that. Nickelback, too. So there's a main difference in the last 10 years. We're not seeing these really uh, big rock songs like that cut through. And, and even now, uh, Linkin Park's back. They, they just had a hit uh, called Heavy, but sort of ironically titled because with Kiara, it's, it's basically a pop song. So uh, even though Linkin Park is still doing well now, they've really changed their sound to, to a softer sound, at least on that song. Yeah, rock is is the rock era over? Is that is 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 rock out on its way out? That you know that there's no more hardcore rock. That question has come up that should should the rock era still be the name? You know, since the '50s when Rock Around the Clock came out. But yeah, I mean, the last at least the last ten years or so, it's sort of been the pop hip hop era. Maybe rock could still come back. We don't know. <laughs> Holding out for a hero on that one. Rock is rock might have a shot. Um, okay, you, but you did good rock. If you did, if you don't make it anymore. You did good. Uh, moving up to number 23 on the chart in 2007, we're going to talk about Pink, who we mentioned at the top of the podcast. Um, we're going to go a little deeper into what she's been up to lately and talk specifically about the song You In Your Hand and how that led to a nice pop renaissance for her. Uh, before we do that, though, let's go ahead and finish out this little segment right here. Moving up to number 22, which back in 2007, you would have never guessed that this artist would be a future duet partner with Pink right. in 2017. We're talking Kenny Chesney right there above Pink at number 22. 
Never wanted nothing more. Yeah, I mean, they were late. They're under the same label group, so there was that connection. But other than that, Pink hadn't really shown that she had uh, any tendencies toward country at that point. So yeah, they had the song uh, "Setting the World on Fire," number one country hit earlier this year. But uh, you know, Kenny Chesney's career is as strong as it ever was back then. That was his twelfth uh, hot country songs number one. Ten years later, he has twenty three. So he's basically doubled uh, just about his number one count in the last 10 years. So he was huge all the way through the late 90s into the 2000s. Another 10 years later, he's still absolutely one of the country's biggest names. I mean, the country stalwarts are, you know, longstanding and, and hard to knock down. I mean, you look at guys even like Tim and, and obviously Garth and, and that crew, what they've been able to do for so long. He hasn't really changed his sound that much. It was sort of a testament to him that people like you know, what the Kenny Chesney sound has been and, and still going strong now. 21 this week, Lip Gloss. By Lil Mama. Now, of course, being in high school at the time, um, that song was, you know, that was obviously a huge song. It was so easy for people to, you know, dance along and sing along to. I mean, just kind of one of those novelty hits that people had seen. And trust me, if, you know, social media, I mean, social media was around at this time. Facebook had been out there. Um, Twitter was just getting on its legs. But, you know, if Instagram and, and, and definitely more YouTube user content would have been out there this would have been one of those songs that would have been synced everywhere again it was just so easy with the with the snap clap beat to sing along to and ly- was, lyrically this was, was yeah a big high school hit oh 100 yeah. i mean your lip gloss is pop you know when you're too you're too young for lipstick but your lip gloss that's what's up that's what's up so um what kind of lip gloss did anita wear do you remember are we still on this topic like literally all this time later we're still there um um, what was the some little cherry squeeze? I don't know. What was what was popping at Claire's or whatever back then? I don't know. We'll leave Anita aside and we'll pick up another woman, Pink. Um, as we mentioned before, at the top of the podcast, we are going to dive into you and your hand, which really put Pink back on the map after kind of languishing in limbo for a couple of years. And to help us out with that, we're going to bring in our Special insider interview this week, Joe Riccatelli, who is the executive vice president of promotion and general manager at RCA Records, who was there back in 2007 working alongside Pink to get this song really up to the top of the pop charts. Yeah. So, you know, you look at Pink's career now, it's, you know, 17 years of hits and you almost forget that there was a time when she wasn't automatic at pop radio. This was that time. She'd had all those big hits, uh, Get the Party Started, but then... Yeah, the Misunderstood album right. was, was popping. But then uh, the first single from her album in 2006, Stupid Girls, uh, didn't quite connect. And then You and Your Hand was, uh, wasn't was even actually the second single. Who knew? Uh, came out first. And then that, that didn't really work. So You and Your Hand came out, and, and Pink suddenly just wasn't uh, on the level she'd been at. So Joe really uh, gives us a great story uh, coming up here of how the song became a hit. It was record-setting in terms of how long it took to get to number one on the pop songs chart. But uh, it did. Her career has uh, been uh, totally back ever since then. We're talking 10 years now. And uh, this was the song that really uh, brought her back after the, after that little career glitch. And, of course, when you get a guy like Joe, you can't just talk about one act. So, luckily, uh, we talked about some other RCA big names we want to um, mention and see what's going on with their projects as well. One guy we've already talked about on this podcast we want to revisit, Justin Timberlake. Right. See what he's up to ever since Can't Stop the Feeling last year. Huge hit. And see what that new album might entail. Um, I guess if you talk about Justin, it always goes that you somehow Britney comes up as well. Yep, so we'll does. talk about Britney Spears as well. And um, even some acts who were not even on the radar back in 2007. Right. We'll see what's up with Zane. Uh, and probably one of the most interesting ones I'm interested in, at least, is seeing what's up with Kesha. Yeah. Supposedly... Um, 
you know, seeing where she's at in 2017 as well. Yep. So. All right. So here is uh, Joe Riccatelli, again, uh, executive VP GM of RCA Records on the Billboard chart. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Podcast. RCA Records. General Manager, Executive Vice President, Promotion. RCA Records, Joe Riccatelli. You introduced yourself so Not a well, problem. Joe. I'm used to it. <laughs> you can do that. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Oh, yeah, definitely. I enjoyed it last time. So uh, what we're doing uh, this week is uh, looking back, uh, specifically 10 years, 2007, what was going on in the charts back then. And, and one of the songs that really stood out, because it was such an interesting story, was uh, Pink, You and Your Hand. So we kind of wanted to get into what, what happened at that point. I mean, she'd, she'd been a big big star uh, for about seven years at that point, but she'd had a little bit of a lull. We're actually looking back on the Hot 100. This became her first top 10 in 2007 in five years. Right. Um, I think what really happened was um, there was a soundtrack from Charlie's Angels 2, Full Throttle, with the song was called... Feel Good Time. That's the one. So Feel Good Time was released off of Charlie Angels, Full Throttle, and there's a lot of times with soundtrack records... They kind of put you into this weird spot because really soundtrack singles are for, you, are for the movie to open. You know, that, that's it. And once the movie opens, the film company could usually really cares less about what happens to it. The film's open. And then, you know, it was a Columbia picture. She was signed to Arista. They had their other projects going on at Columbia at the time. Um, so I'm sure that that kind of found itself between a rock and a hard place and never really materialized. And she had been working on Try This um, under the Arista uh, moniker for LaFace. And um, that album was released, I would guess, a year after that. Is that what the uh, timeline looks like for you? I think it was like November 03, like like late 03, I remember. Late 03. Yeah. So late 03. And, and when would the soundtrack come out? It was the summer, right? Uh, feel good, be. yeah. Feel good. Because I'm sure was, Charlie's Angels was a summer. Yeah, yeah, that peaked in July 2003. Right. So then, um, try this came out, and um, it was an interesting time for her. She was working closely with Tim Armstrong, and they did a great record together. And in fact, when you see her perform live, some of the tracks off of that album really go over very well. And um, 2004 was when uh, LaFace came over to Jive, and that's where I met Pink. Um, and uh, the very first thing that they actually played for us, her and Billy Mann came up to our conference room 
and played Dear Mr. President for about 10 people in our conference room. And I didn't really know her at the time, but I was just so blown away. And one of those moments where your jaw just drops open, you're like, wow, this is just pretty incredible. Uh, she finished the record, um, and then the first single release was Stupid Girls. And um, the video was so compelling, and she was so passionate about the track being the first single. And we're all in with her, as always, as we want to be with, with our artists to begin with. And she had a vision for that, and we really wanted to follow through on it. And from an airplay standpoint, that track peaked maybe 17, 16, 15, somewhere in that range. Um, yeah, 17. 17. Mainstream top yeah, so, so at that point, we were in a weird spot because she had been coming off of uh, three records that just did not fire. And as you know from talking with other uh, record execs during the podcast or even maybe some of the radio execs, when you start to get into a streak like that where we had three records that just didn't fire, they started really doubting everything that was going on. So you guys may or may not remember this, but the second release from that album was Who Knew? Right. So that record peaked at 41, and we never actually charted or 42, so it just was off the chart. It was a very frustrating time for us at the label at Jive, and it was very frustrating for her. And I remember vividly having this conversation with her. Um, we were doing a broadcast for XM. Do you remember we were down in D.C. doing a broadcast for XM? And um, we did. Uh, she did kind of what was their fishbowl version uh, performance. Uh, it was a Sunday afternoon because she was doing a club tour because um, to get her back out on the road, we decided let's do a, a, a small play club tour. And we were having this conversation backstage, and um, we're standing up like kind of in the loading dock of, of XM, and she's telling me about everything that's going on in Europe and people chasing buses and playing arenas. And she's like, why is it just not coming through here? And it was really frustrating for both of us, and that was in the summer. Um, and then in the fall of that year, we had our uh, BMG meetings, um, and Barry Weiss was running our company at the time, and um, Clive Davis had us all to the PlayStation Theater in New York, and we were playing music, and we played You in Your Hand, um, and our staff was in town, our promo staff was in town, and I remember having this conversation with them like, come hell or high water, we're going to get this project back on track, because it was too important for us to have a girl from Philadelphia that was huge outside of America and not right. be big here, it just right. was too frustrating. And she'd had so many hits before that. With, yeah, with Misunderstood, which was right. obviously a gigantic record. Right. Um, so we started working that record in the fall of 2006. So we were grinding, we're grinding, we're grinding. We get to the holiday break. We come back in January, and literally we're down in spins in January. And I'll never forget this. This was one of those weeks where it was rubber hits the road, like either this record's going to go or not go. And um, we were working really hard. And I could still remember a few emails that I sent out to a couple some choice words to some program directors about Pink and how I felt about her and how, like, I felt we were getting screwed. And um, ultimately, uh, it was it was right around March, I want to say, all of a sudden the record started to really kick in and call-out research started to come back and you and your hand really started to build. And then we got as far, I want to say, on in May, the very first week of May, we actually got to number one on that track. That was the longest run of a song that actually came on the chart. Right. It was uh, it was a record on mainstream it top was, 40, longest yeah. run at it's, that time. I don't, it's not anymore, though. I think something else it's, just it's been passed recently. by a few weeks. But, yeah. you know, the chart at that point was 15 years old. So you're talking a record run to number one, which yeah. shows uh, just how much you believed it and how 100%. much it, it ultimately, you know, radio really did like it. Just yep. took time. That's exactly what happened. And and to that point, we believed in her so much. And to this day, Who Knew is a song for me that whenever I hear it, it's a song kind of 
like uh, Tears for Fears, uh, Everyone Wants to Rule the World, that whenever I hear Who Knew, I just love that song. It's just one of those records for me. We just decided to go back and take a second swing at it, and uh, we actually took it um, from the first time, not charting, to getting it to number one. And then the rest kind of rolled from there for us, and for her, more importantly. The lyrics to You and Your Hand obviously played into the song's success. It definitely did. It was really active that way, and it was really funny. This was a record that Pink did, that Alicia did with uh, both Max and Luke at the time, who worked on this project. And um, Max and Luke came into New York, and they took us to dinner down at uh, Tribeca. Was it was it was it Nobu? No, wasn't it Haru? Yeah. Well, we went to dinner with them anyway. They took us out to dinner and really had a great time with us because they were so excited with that record going the distance. Yeah. And it was funny because I remember driving downtown with Max in the uh, SUV and he played us the guitar lick for So What, which he's like, I have a guitar lick for the next single. I want you guys to hear it. He played it for us in the SUV going downtown from the old Sony building down to Haru for dinner. Yeah. At, at that point, it just she's been on this run ever since. So it really kickstarted the rest of her career to this point. The last ten years, that's it did. been pretty much nonstop hit since. Yeah, and she um, is always really quick to point that out. And she's nothing but has been so supportive to this promotion staff and to me in particular over the years and the shout outs that she's given me over the years and uh, even down there on the floor you basically can see when you guys gave her the uh, billboard woman of the year it's um you know that's that's how she is and that's who she is and she's so warm and just so I I love working with her I look forward you know to seeing her I'm going to see her here shortly so I'm I'm excited about you know getting on track again Trevor and I were talking about how many different sounds she's had in her career, from rhythmic to pop, the country number one hit with Kenny Chesney yeah, exactly. last year. Huge record. The folk album. Was there like any sort of conscious decision from, you know, when you saw how Who Knew did that she say, you know, this is a lane that I maybe didn't explore a whole lot before. Like now I want to go full throttle with that. Well, what happened with that particular project was, uh, in fact, um, we had gone to Toronto I want to say it was at the beginning of the Truth About Love tour, very beginning of the tour. She had been close with Dallas Green, and Dallas lives in Toronto or is from Canada. And um, we ended up, you know, connecting with him. um, And she said, I'm going to work on something with him when I'm done with this project. And it was kind of just her following through on something and an artist that she really liked. And I think that record turned out amazing. Uh, It didn't get all the, you know... uh, support from airplay but we didn't really expect it to, to get that going in to be honest with got you. a little adult alternative here we, we definitely did a, adult alternative, never, which is what we ne- wanted right yeah. which she had not had before and right. then obviously onto country uh, onto great things and um, we were just looking recently at just like fire off of the uh, soundtrack from last summer how well that record really eventually did and i was um looking at the year in charts recently and i want to say it finished in the top three at um hot ac radio for the year 2016 yeah, there are very few artists that you can think of, like Pink, who just cover that many lanes in her sound. That's a sign of true artistry of just how many different sounds she's done over you know almost 17 years of her career at this point. Yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. What can you tell us about new Pink music? What's well, coming she's in, she's in the studio. We're kind of wrapping up right now, and we're going to be expecting some new music from her you know, sometime this year. And uh, I don't think we're going to have to wait very long. And it's exciting because uh, she's really excited about it. And um, I think we're going to really have a fantastic, you know, end of the year run here with this album and into next year when she'll get back out on the road, I'm sure. Anything you can tell us about uh, the sounds? 
on the No, album. she's working with a lot of different producers. And um, the thing about Alicia is that she will keep going till she feels she gets it right. And I kind of feel like the recording process for her, um, though it may be strung out over a long period of time, when it's actually completed, uh, it'll be so spot on and A+. Plus, and I think the wait will be well worth it. And uh, I'm really expecting her to come back and, and um, you know, really have a monstrous album for us. How about her work ethic? I mean, she became a mom again this year for the Twice, second time yeah. and already, you know, looking to get back out there on the road, like you said. I mean, that's that's well, incredible. She's doing some festival dates this summer. Um, she's playing two dates up in Canada in the middle of July. She's uh, down here in Atlantic City also playing a date on the beach in the middle of July. She's playing um, the I, the V-Fest in the U.K. middle of August. She's doing a show in San Diego um, middle of August. Um, and then she'll, you know, probably get serious about touring next year. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. Right? I know. Mothers can do it all, truly. It's crazy. <laughs> she can. She is. She's one in a million. One in a million. She's still doing all the acrobatic stuff? Uh, this tour will be a little bit different because uh, she'll be playing more outdoor-type venues because they're festival dates. But I'm sure that when we see her come back around next year, uh, you'll be seeing that. I never came to the beach I stood by the ocean I never sat by the shore Under the sun With my feet in the sand But you brought me here And I'm happy that you did Cause now I'm as free while we have you here, uh, Joe, we want to ask you some other RCA acts. Sure. Uh, what you guys got going on. Um, start with Miley because uh, Malibu's uh, doing pretty yeah, well. Yeah, that's, uh, right? that's been a fantastic story because um, Miley um, had me um, over to Adam Lieber, her manager's house, in January. And she played me four or five songs or five or six songs that day. And Malibu was actually the last song that she played me. And in the initial conversation that we were going there for, there was a particular track that she was leaning towards as her first single. But when she played... Played Malibu, she said, and she, she texted me right after the meeting. She's like, I saw your energy shift in that meeting. I think we should go with this as the first single. And she was dead serious about it. And I said to her, okay, well, our record's fantastic lyrically. I really think it's a, it could be a home run. You're going to have to work on maybe putting a little tempo underneath it. Let's get some drums in there. And she took great direction. We had had a sit-down conversation with John Ivey and um, and with the iHeart uh, team and, and even with Michael Martin prior to, and I brought the feedback back to her. She's like, okay, cool, I got it. She went back in with Oren, and she really worked on making the record more top 40 friendly. And you saw how, and you see currently how well this record's really doing for us overall. It's a top 10 record for you guys a few weeks back. Uh, it's going to be a top 10 airplay record here when everything is said and done. And um, the thing about this record to me that's most important and similar to Pink it's very much from the heart. Her lyrics are very much from the heart. She's passionate about what she's saying and what she believes in. She's made a complete lifestyle change, and it comes across in everything she's doing right now. And this is where she is, and it's exciting to be part of that, you know, that part of that life with her. Yeah, in a way, it's kind of like what we see. What we see with Pink. Um, you know, this is a record. Compared to her last record, if you look at Bangers, you know, that was obviously Mike Will influenced, more hip-hop. You know, but this Malibu seems to be opening her up to a new lane of, of audience that maybe she hadn't had before. People thought she was maybe too young, you know, not really into that. But I think a more adult, I mean, certainly the country influence is kind of there. We saw at the BBMA, she performed it a little more country. So in a way, it's kind of like Pink, who I think when people first saw Pink come out, you know, they saw the, the pink hair and they thought she was... 
you know, she's for the kids. And then now we see, I mean, as we mentioned just before, huge hits on adult radio alternative. So in a way, they kind of parallel each other, yeah? Well, I think it's indicative of really artists growing and getting older and seeing different things in their life. And if you think about... Pink, when she started with the first single, she was probably 19 years old, and she lived through a lot over that period of time. You said 17 years she's been recording, so that's a, right. maybe 18 when she first did that record. Right. And and Miley, obviously, she grew up in the public eye as a young girl, and you know you saw her go through different phases in life, and it's not really like anybody else. It's not different than you or me. When I was 18 years old, I was doing different things than when I was 25, and you know the same thing goes for artists. There there are people in the same matter, and I think this is more. True true to Miley's kind of who Miley is and who she wants to be. And that's one of the reasons why I think people are really responding to it because it's really honest music. And, you know, you want that to be the case. You just added the Tiesto remix too. A little we more did a great remix package, to be honest with you. We have two more remixes coming out, uh, which will be out when this airs. It'll be um, Dylan Francis and um, Alan Walker, both great remixers. Uh, the Tiesto remix came out last week. The Hymn mix came out two weeks ago. Lost Frequencies remix was added yesterday to Chill on uh, Sirius XM. Um, so we're pretty much really covering all bases. And that's the other thing. She's been so open-minded about the remix package. And we've got some excellent remixes on this track. And the response on it's been phenomenal, as you guys could say. Hey, Trevor, you mentioned the, the country uh, version uh, which kind of did on the BBMAs. Has there been interest from country? Are you planning to take it to country? Well, we're still having that conversation, but, you know, it's funny with country radio, and I'm sure you guys know this. I cannot think of a record. I can't think of anything that's reverse-crossed. Country programmers in general and, and um, my experience with them is they really want artists that are invested into the format, into right. the lifestyle. Right. The funny thing is she actually is. But until we're really ready to kind of make that move. But I wouldn't be surprised if we decide to go down that road. All right. Uh, a year ago at this time, uh, you were on the podcast and you, you said that uh, Sia, Cheap Thrills, you thought it was going to be one of the biggest hits of the summer. Yeah. Was, I, maybe it was just around number 40 on the Hot 100. Yeah. You were correct on that one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, that is my job, by the way, is to be correct on those things. Um, so, yeah, that's been um, – she's been quite the journey for us. Um, and um, she, along with uh, Pink or Miley, they are they're, – they're amazing artists because uh, – the creative and where the creative comes from and how she's really able to find her own lane and still stay true to who she is. And I think, again, you talk about those three artists, they are true to who they are. They are true to themselves. And there's nothing more important in music than that. Everything revolves around being true to yourself. And um, Sia has definitely been that. And she's uh, shooting a film right now that she's working on. It'll probably be sometime next year. Um, and she's in great spirits, and she's uh, been working with our artist uh, Labyrinth a little bit, and I think that, as you know from the Wonder Woman soundtrack, they they put that track out on the end credits. That has done very well from a Shazam standpoint, um, and um, it's an interesting record. So, yeah, she's, she's always great. Because you brought the flames and you put me through hell. I had to learn how to fight for myself, and we both know all the truth I could tell. I'll just say this is I wish you farewell. I hope you're somewhere praying, praying. I hope your soul is changing, changing. We're keeping this uh, vein of uh, all these uh, female stars on RCA. Been a while since uh, we've heard from Kesha, obviously with new music. 
Yeah, you know, Kesha's been been um, unable, unfortunately, to put music out um, just due to, you know, what she's been dealing with over the last few years. But she's pretty much wrapping up, and we're pretty excited about it right now. And, um, and she's, again, poured her heart and soul into this music, so it's, it's really exciting. Uh, Britney Spears? New music from Britney? Mm, I don't point? think at the moment. I think with Britney, I think that she's going to focus on um, wrapping up her Vegas residency. And I think she actually wants to, you know, um, you know, figure out what her next moves are. Um, but it's always great to work with Britney. And, um, you know, she um, she's amazing. And um, we were just talking about Blackout recently. I was talking to Larry Rudolph about Blackout and how that album really did change the game for her and for a lot of people. And it wasn't so something that I think that we were really expecting at that moment in time. And it was an album that ultimately, when you go back and look at it, gained momentum as we went along and really built her up and really took her to her next phase in her life. Uh, also, uh, sort of goes hand in hand, I guess, with uh, Britney historically. Justin Timberlake had the big well, hit I don't know what year. you mean. <laughs> um, we'll fill yeah, like he, yeah. Justin is, uh, is always a force of nature, and um, he's constantly working, and um, he's in the studio, and um, we're hoping to hear something from him, you know, shortly. It's always exciting because he's always challenging himself and always pushing the envelope. He never settles, and um, I think when we were talking last year, um, Can't Stop the Feeling had just started to really go, um, and um, obviously that turned into, you know, being one of the most played songs at all formats last year and was Radio Song of the Year at the at the BBMAs. Um, and um, again, you know, it's so funny with him. And I think I mentioned this the last time. He's like, when he played it for me, when I went to the studio, he's like, Joe, I've got an easy one for you. Right. Because so, everything, you know, for him, he feels is difficult. But it's not necessarily true. But Wait, you've done some more R&B leaning stuff, and this was just so right down the middle of the road uh, pop, yeah, he, pop hit. He's hard on himself. He is hard on himself, and that's what makes him such a great artist. And I know I think people saw a couple times before he was working on something sort of Tennessee-inspired. He said he was writing with Little Big Town. Um, any intel if that's still the direction that well, he's looking at? I think at, Drink or? You Away was a record that um, really, if we went back and had to do it again, I don't think it actually ended up really getting the accolades that it did get. And I think he felt inspired off of that track, off of the 2020 experience part two. Um, and um, live, it was actually one of the, the very best live songs that, that he ever does and that he does now. So I think that that was an inspiration for him. And I wouldn't be shocked to see more, you know, in that vein. Not that I know anything, but I wouldn't be shocked. And I mean, of course, the reception he got when he did he did that song with Chris Stapleton back at the CMAs. I mean, Crushed that it. was, yeah. I mean, well, and my mom fact, was that, like texting me and everything. Well, crazy. and that was actually the impetus for us to put the record out and to really push it and try to work it in a country a little bit. And I actually was calling country programmers myself on that because a lot of the country programmers now, as you know, are former pop programmers. Right. So I have longstanding relationships with them. And some of them really gave it a try and some had a lot of success with it. And there's some of the pop stations that had success with it as well. And I kind of feel like, you know, that was uh, inspiration for all of us and realized that that door can switch swing both ways um but it's challenging at the same time zane uh zane is working on some music right now again and you know um he uh, he's um again one of those rubik's cubes types of artists and uh he's so creative and he's uh, an amazing vocalist and i wouldn't be shocked to see us have something here in the next uh, couple months on him and one thing we kind of talked about with one direction you know back obviously they're all kind of out in the same place is that is that weirder for you guys to like sort of do you even think about that you know trying to okay where's harry doing like and what's nile up to and sort of navigating that road where it's not 
you know, all at once or anything like that? It really doesn't come into the conversation because all five of them have distinctive directions. And um, even, you know, uh, Louis Tomlinson, who's just finishing up now and putting something out with Psycho here uh, later on next month, is a, is a different direction than the other four. So, um, yeah, so for, for all five of them, I don't think we really think that way because I haven't really felt in my conversations with top 40 programmers that they say, well, I'm playing Niall, so I can't play Liam, so I, have to, I can't get in touch Louis, or I've got to wait for Zane. I don't really get those conversations. You know, and if you think about all five of them, I and mean, Harry obviously made a fantastic album start to finish. Zane has had a ton of success. You look at Niall right now, and you look at the success he's having with Slow Hands, and you look at well Liam's doing, and all of them are different directions. All of them. Good songs are good songs for that's top right, hundred percent. It's song driven format at the end yeah. of the day. I mean, artists do play into the discussion, but it's song driven. How well excited were you guys that this Kygo song with Selena Gomez began to become bigger than than you thought it was going to be? Actually, not me personally, because I remember when Andrew Watt came in to play it for us. It was right before the Christmas break. And I said to Peter, I'm like, Peter, this is the number one record. There's no doubt in my mind. Now, it got complicated because of Selena. And we ended up sharing uh, chart share, chart responsibilities on it. But again, it, it was a lesson for us on... Um, how the feature really can drive the track. And um, when when we heard the record, it was no doubt in my mind it was a number one. And it just it was one of those songs that just cut through. And she's great on it. Yeah, it is, I was going to say, it's, it's such a, a mix. I mean, you can yeah. certainly hear that it's such such a core dance record, but it has the pop hook. And, you know, what an odd chorus it is when you think about yeah. it. But, but it's so catchy. You know, and it's his melody. Ultimately, Kygo on that melody on the keys, on the piano, really – makes that song stand out you know uh, the lyrics on it are fantastic and i know even when andrew was writing it, he said to me he thought right away this would be a great record for selena because they're close um and um that's really how it played out which was fine because it was really great so really established an artist for us at top 40 that we were a little bit frustrated with coming off of uh firestone um we felt we should have gotten further with them and now there's a new single. Another, new another single with Ellie Goulding right. doing well. It's Shazamming early on. We're kind of just getting into the meat of it now. It's always hard to compete with a record that's number one when you're trying to follow a record. So it's been exciting working with him. He's always great to work with. And uh, new artists? What are you guys uh, working on uh, in terms of people I haven't mentioned so far? I see a Frankie cookie hanging over your Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. We're, we're definitely working on Frankie. Um, she is somebody that's uh, near and dear to our heart. Um, she's part of, um, of the gold, little Golden Retriever imprint here. Uh, at RCA, um, stuff that I am working on setting up for right now. We have two side projects here coming off of Pentatonix. Uh, Superfruit is going to be Scott and Mitch putting out an EP, um, which will be out by the time this actually runs. But I really love the music that they're making. Uh, Kirsten, also the uh, female vocalist from Pentatonix, will be putting out a solo project as well that we're really excited about. Something that we've been passionate about and working on for a while is LP, um, the song Lost on You. We right. did a deal with the BMG Rights Group to promote it, so we're doing the marketing and promotion on it. And it's now top 30 on the 
hot AC chart and doing well. And then um, she was a chart breaker feature for she was us. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and Billboard this Yeah, and, and this one, this issue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah with the one with Diplo on it. Um, yeah, so yes, that's absolutely right. And so that's been a really passion project for us overall. I would be remiss if I don't mention Bleachers and Jack Antonoff. He's somebody we are really, really believe in as an artist overall. And uh, he's just been a great friend to the company. He's an amazing writer, producer. Uh, Green Light might be my favorite song this year from Lord that's been released. I just love that record. Um, and uh, he is, um, you know, he's a, he's amazing to work with. I love working with Jack. Busy as always, Joe. My friend, you have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great to hear from Joe on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. And maybe of all that stuff we talked about, Trevor, new Kesha music sounding like we've never heard her before. Such such great vocals on that new song. Yeah, I mean, when I first heard that, I was it took me about two minutes because I kept thinking she was somebody else. I still can't quite figure out who I think she was. But, you know, I mean, just awesome to see that side of her because I think for so long so many people thought that, you know, she was sort of this this label creation i mean she's obviously like just this fun party girl who really didn't have a whole lot of depth to her and you know now people are really you know able to see that she's got some true musicianship under there and it's great stuff to hear you could just you could just feel the emotion in in the vocals because obviously the song means a lot to her after everything she's been going through yeah i i can only imagine it must have been very hard for her to write and record this this whole song obviously given everything that's happened in the past couple of years and maybe things you know we didn't even know about while Animal and Warrior and all her big hits were being recorded. Right. So at least, um, you know, I'm glad that she was able to, to sort of work through this, it seems like, put it into music, which I'm sure was a great outlet for her as well, and bounce back on her feet. And I think, obviously, you know, she's gotten a lot of, I mean, a lot more fans than she already had, I'm sure, and a lot more respect from the industry as well. So I think, uh, you know, everyone's rooting for her, and how can you root against that story? And, and just new music from Kesha. It's been a while. So we have new music. That's That's great to hear. All right, let's continue on. Uh, 2007, going back again, uh, back 10 years. The top 20 now we're up to this week on the Billboard Hot 100. I hope the ring you gave to her turns her finger green. I hope when you're in bed with her, you think of me. Tonight is gonna be some change. There's no acting to dig, so stop acting and get it clapping, cause I'm knowing you feel me. No, not only 
got a triple serving of idols up in this joint. Lots of idols. Uh, number 20, Kelly Clarkson, we heard, with uh, Never Again. Uh, kind of an interesting time. We talk about how Pink had a little career lull. It was uh, Kelly Clarkson after the Breakaway album had all those huge hits. She then put out My December, had this song. Uh, it was a top 10 hit, got to number eight, Never Again. But it was the only top 10 hit from the album and this is she was you know having some some uh dealings with the label that she wanted to go in her own direction it got kind of public and she would have the the company you know, a bigger comeback a couple years later with my life would suck without you and, and that whole album but this was a little period where uh she wasn't quite as big as she'd been before and how she'd be uh big again a couple years later yeah i think this was an album that was uh sort of a personal milestone for kelly clarkson the my december album of this time like you said there's some dealings with the label that made it kind of tricky and she and clive davis in particular had that that big back and forth yeah um after breakaway of course having so many huge hits maybe you know she wanted to you, you think the label wants you know a breakaway part two and maybe kelly didn't want to do that i mean the songs on this my december are a little darker yeah uh, i mean even everything from the album cover you know and that dress at the bottom of the staircase and everything so um yeah i mean i think it's one of those albums that she really personally wanted to put out there maybe didn't have the biggest success that she would have hoped but i think for her maybe not that big a deal right and you see that throughout pop history even you know hannah montana miley cyrus she had to kind of do her own thing for a while that you know it was just her own uh, vision the same thing with uh, kelly clark you could go back to you know the 60s the monkeys were, were this uh this uh, tv studio creation they wanted to do their own sound. One Direction members now we're seeing that they're certainly not putting out, uh, you know, the exact same sound as, as uh, you know, the, the absolute pure pop of, of One Direction. So you, you see that artists, artists grow. This is a great example of that. And right above Kelly Clarkson, we got another American Idol alum in Daughtry. Right. Home, uh, another uh, big hit from Daughtry. There, there's a lot of a lot of Idol here. So uh, Daughtry, uh, number 19, former uh, top five hit. And again, a person who, who also you know, points out that you don't have to win Idol to right. be successful. Chris came in fourth place in his season and still got a number one album out of it. You know, it was a huge 2006 for them. Carried on in 2007. Yeah, when we've recapped a lot of Idols over the years, it's been uh, Kelly Clarkson, Carrie Underwood, and Daughtry as like the three most successful uh, for a long time on the charts. So yeah, fourth place finisher. But uh, talent is talent. It'll win out. Uh, all right, a couple uh, a couple hip-hop hits, uh, uh, sort of, uh, of the time, I guess, in some ways, uh, from Lloyd and Huey, the numbers 18 and 17, Pop, Lock, and Drop It, number 17. Yeah, uh, one of the big things, too, from Pop, Lock, and Drop It, which is kind of one of those, those songs that is so 2007, um, but indicative of also, I think it was on the Stomp the Yard soundtrack, and you kind of forget, there was a stretch of movies in that time that was really... Um, really hip hop centric, really college oriented. There was like Stomp the Yard was at that same. Okay, Stomp the Yard was out there. Okay, duh, that's what came from Stomp the Yard. Um, there was ATL was out like in 2006. Ti had been on that. Um, you got Served had been out a couple of years, I think as well. Um, probably a few others that I can't even think of, but a really good time for those kind of movies. And one of the best things about those soundtracks uh, from those movies over the years is they gave some hometown stars some shine that they may not have otherwise gotten. You know, it's not just the Jay-Z's and the the 50 cents out there getting hits. I mean, Huey just kind of, you know, coming out of nowhere, getting a nice top 10 from, from his work with the film. See, I think of 2000 era movies. I think of Borat. <laughs> I mean, no that's, soundtrack. That's a, I mean, no you know, soundtrack that's a hits. fantastic movie too. I mean, different direction, but yeah, yeah. If we're going to go back to 10 years, i got to yeah. mention Borat. Pamela Anderson. Yeah. Co- co-star, even if she didn't know it. Yeah, right. I, I, God, what a process that must have been for her. All right. And another idol at uh, number 16, Carrie Underwood, Before He Cheats. 
You know, what's interesting about that song, it, it crossed over, but it's such a core country song. It, Carrie Underwood didn't have to make a song that was so poppy for that to become such a hit. And I'm sure lyrically, it, it's just so relatable, uh, the lyrics in that song. Is it relatable? <laughs> Do most people know it? You've never had your uh, car keyed by, by, by an angry ex? No, uh, no, I have not. Luckily, um, I guess I'm missing out apparently. But yeah, I mean, that song, truly in the vein of some of those great country sort of scorned woman classics. Um, I mean, this goes back, you know, way back to Loretta Lynn wrote right. so many of those. Dolly Parton had a few. Shania Twain would have kept that same kind of energy going forward. And now Carrie, you know, enters her, her Hall of Fame entry with Before He Cheats. I mean, this is I mean, you know, come on, this is a great, I mean, it's just a great song, especially I love the detail they give to what she does. She, you know, she keys the car right. and she writes her name in the seats and Louis, she, um, Louisville Slugger gets a, a little, Louisville, a little plug. Not just any bat. She takes a Louisville Slugger to both headlights and um, slashes the tires too. So don't cross Carrie Underwood or you might be, uh, might be in for some, a nice bill at the, at the auto shop. Mike Fisher has been warned through this song. <laughs> yes. Mike, Yeah. All right, let's uh, keep going. We're up to number 15 now, 10 years ago. All right, kicking off that segment, we heard Fallout Boys. Thanks for the memories. So, um, a nice year for Fallout Boy as well. Coming off that second album, Infinity on High, that really broke them um, into the stratosphere. They already made their made ways of their debut from Under the Cork Tree, but this ain't a scene. It's an arm ra- arms race, a number two hit earlier right. that year. This being the follow up single, unfortunately, has that. That uh, infamous number 11 peak. So. Ooh, a, a number two and then a number 11. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, and I guess, you know, obviously the lead single has, you know, the momentum and the energy and they're back, they're back, they're back. I think um, this is a better song, a better, you know, pop leaning song, a great chorus. I think it's held up longer. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this ain't a scene is, is fun for the shouting and you can kind of, and kind of the weirdness of the lyrics. Like what, what is in a scene? It's a goddamn arms race. Okay. But um, definitely much more on the... The sugar we're going down kind of scorn lover vein for this song. And it's another a rock song here in the top 40. A little different than the Linkin Park and the Nickelback. A little more pop punk, which was such a huge sound in the late 2000s. So this is a great example of uh, of another side of what rock was back then. And again, louder than anything we're hearing now in rock for the most part. All right, moving on to number 14. We got 
the nice team up of T-Pain featuring Akon with the song Bartender. Again, 2007 was like T-Pain's playground in a lot of ways. That just The title just could be 2007. It, it really song. could. Um, obviously, T-Pain, not the first person to do it, but really became the ambassador of auto-tune in 2007. Um, we'll also hear from another T-Pain song, probably the most famous of his hits later in the podcast. And Akon, once again, we saw him down there with Gwen Stefani, also, uh, and, and Bone Thugs and Harmony. So right. our third Akon spotting of the 2007 chart. And Akon himself, you know, the past six, seven months have been huge for him leading up to this point. He'd already had hits with I Want to Love You and Smack That right at the end of 2006. Earlier in 2007, Don't Matter was also a nice hit for him. And, of course, he's one of those people, too, that got that early branding in. Every time his Akon song, you heard that convict. That's so right. knew, like, oh, that's Akon. All right, uh, moving on to number 13. Uh, we got another breakout of 2007, Hurricane Chris and A Bebe. Um, again, just one of those sort of southern hip-hop songs that – I think people just love to bounce to. It's got an easy kind of going feel to it. I mean, the, the hook is generally just a baby. And number 12, we got Fabulous and Neo doing Make Me Better. Neo um, also enjoying kind of the the sophomore season. He'd broken out in 2006 as an artist really for the first time with So Sick and some of those other tunes. Had been, of course, writing and producing yeah. in the background for a couple of years, but really making his own, his way out there into the forefront. And Neo again, one of the one of the the great you know hook artists of this time, doing some nice nice work there. So sick is years later now, eleven years later. That's a good song. That really, I think that holds. Not that you hear it a whole lot, you know, radio or wherever, but it really holds up years later. Great melody. Yeah, yeah, very fun melody with like with the kind of little clapping like intro that it invites to. Yeah, like you know, it's like like the little hand claps in the in the hook are good, and it's just a pretty creative you know twist on on just you know being lonely after a heartbreak. And uh, more Timberland at uh, number 12 on Make Me Better uh, produced the song and co-wrote it. So it's another example, even if he wasn't the credited artist, of just how big uh, Timberland was 10 years ago. And how many checks Timberland must have been getting at the time, too. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving up to number 11, somebody we mentioned a little bit earlier. T.I. is making waves on this chart at number 11 with big things popping. Do it. So... The song um, continuing sort of T.I.'s run at the time. Remember, he had broken out in a huge way in 2006 with the album King. What You Know was a smash hit, um, especially in on the rap and urban charts. And now, as he said, in in Big Things Poppin', he dominated 06 and he's going right back. So taking no time off. And, of course, not only is 2007 going to be a big year for him, 2008 is going to be a humongous year. Right. When he's got the Paper Trail album, and in the coming year, it'll be Whatever You Like, Live Your Life, and Dead and Gone with Justin Timberlake. So. Yeah, and, and uh, Whatever You Like and Live Your Life, but two hits at the same time. So for that that later part of 2008, it was it was all T.I. at that point. Yeah. All right, we're up to the top 10, 10 years ago this week. They tried to make me go to rehab, I said no, no, no. Yes, I've been black, but when I come back, no. Summer love, you see, this just can't be summer love. 
numbers 10 through 6 that we just heard. And number 10, uh, you hear that now, Trevor, bittersweet now, obviously, at the time. Everyone was singing uh, the chorus to rehab, and it's just sort of a, a fun, you know, kind of a novelty song in some ways. But uh, by 2011, when we lost Amy Winehouse, the song would take on a whole different meaning at that point. Yeah, I mean, obviously, still one of the best songs probably ever recorded. You can make a fair argument for. Um, I'm just so unique in its sound. I mean, obviously, it has elements of that sort of 60s um, environment that it, that it came from, but it wasn't. It didn't feel like a knockoff or a ripoff or anything like that. And yeah, like you mentioned. I mean, it's sort of one of the the most ironic songs, I guess, out there, given, you right. know, eventually what happened to Amy. Side note as well, this song also, um, people probably didn't realize this at the time, Mark Ronson produced it, would not have really been, you know, a household name or anything like the time. Now people also know him as, of course, the creator of Uptown Funk with right. Bruno Mars, so... Nice to see Mark Ronson getting some shine on the charts as well. This song peaked at number nine. Is at number ten this week in, in two thousand seven? But I'm sure you know most people remember a number nine peaking this song rehab. Then you know some of the other number ones even we mentioned because of the whole mostly sad story around uh, Amy Winehouse and, well, and the fact that it's just a great song. Yeah, you know? I mean, one of the greatest really of all time. You're you're putting it in that level. I I mean I would I think it's I, I think it's I think so. I mean it's just it's. From everything from the vocals to the sound to the the subject matter and the way she she wrote about it. I mean, a very tongue-in-cheek kind of fun song. All right. Uh, number nine, more Justin Timberlake, Summer Love, the uh, Future Sex Love Sounds album was still uh, going really well. It's about a year after its release in 2006. It was on to another uh, top ten hit. Yeah, I mean, this had already been three number ones that had already come and gone for right. Justin. So really just continuing that trend and solidifying I mean, his superstar status. The first album, Justified, of course, had you know done huge and huge numbers, huge waves with the singles, but nothing on this level that just made him sort of the the, the reigning king of pop at the time. And he was actually a, go way down the chart here for for a second to number ninety eight this week, as, as Summer Love was still in the top ten until the end of time was debuting at number ninety eight. That would go on to be a hit. That was uh, the Beyonce duet. Uh, yeah, would eventually have sort of this this remix with Beyonce added on. So, yeah, I mean, we were spoiled. We got Justin and Beyonce on the same song. Number eight, Girlfriend, Avril Lavigne, her first, or to date only, number one hit on the Hot 100, but complicated. Got to number two, uh, Girlfriend was her first number one hit 10 years ago. Yeah, and I think for some people, this kind of caught them by surprise because it was more poppy than anything Avril had ever done up to this point. So, um, you know, also kind of borrows some of that refrain and hook from the Ramones, I want to be your boyfriend. That's right. Except she wants to be your girlfriend but yeah i mean obviously great to see that avril you know had that spunkiness to her still that she retained from sort of the i hate to say like emo days because it's not emo by any means but i remember in middle school everyone who thought they were like moody right you know that was that was kind of their soundtrack and i remember but, the, the yeah. i guess it was the, the ironed hair that really flat hair so i started recently when michelle branch came back she was watching a video of herself back then. She's like, oh, look how flat my hair was back then. Avril, it was a fashion. Yeah, I mean, people would have the flat hair, like it might be, if they were blonde, might have like the black tips at the bottom. So yeah, definitely sort of the, you know, maybe cover part of one of your eyes or something. So you had some mystique to you or something. And you know, even Avril, uh, even though she's probably known more for songs like Your Girlfriend and Complicated, she said some really good ballads too. I'm not sure she ever gets uh, the acclaim she should get as a writer. She also co-wrote, we mentioned uh, Kelly Clarkson's Breakaway as well. She's she's a really all-around artist. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the the Let Go album and its singles do pretty well, but you're right. I mean, especially some of the later works. And uh, number seven, Maroon 5, former number one, makes me wonder, really a, a point of Maroon 5's career where maybe you can put it on this song, where they really change from being 
more of a rock band in some ways to to a pop band. You know, they'd started with Harder to Breathe. Yeah, that's really some rocky stuff. And then this song really uh, changed their sound. It was you know, almost disco-y in some ways, very uh, synthy sounding. And, and then it would be four years later, moves like Jagger would come out. And since then, they've just been probably the biggest all-out pop band uh, since. But I think it's with this song that they really showed they could be uh, pure pop. Ooh, Gary's going to have the One Direction fans coming after him. The biggest all-out pop band. I see, I always come from a radio standpoint, and One Direction, obviously huge in so many levels. Maroon 5 has been uh, the pop radio band. I'll, uh, I'll say it that way. There we go. Did I save myself from Twitter? Maybe, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Um, but yeah, for sure that – interesting choice too because, I mean, obviously the songs about Jane album was so successful that, you know, they didn't necessarily need a switch in sound. So I kind of wonder – I mean, if it was just them trying out new influences or, or where some of that inspiration came from. But, of course, got them their first number one, so can't be upset with that. And obviously showed that people really liked what they were doing and wanted more Maroon 5. And uh, we're talking so much about Idol, but who knew that uh, a future coach of The Voice was in our midst then because The Voice didn't exist then. So nobody knew. Uh, well, yeah. We, well, we also had Gwen down there as well. So That's a couple right. couple Voice uh, alum coming through. And uh, number six, new to the top ten. This was uh, the greatest gainer in uh, sales at the time this week. Uh, flew uh, 18 to 6. Timberland, again, featuring Kerry Hilson. The grammatically incorrect, but that didn't stop it from becoming a hit. The Way I Are. The Way I Are. We also, I guess we learned that phrase again in Ariana Grande's Break Free. That that line, and then she was like, she tried to sing it the correct way in the studio, and they were like, uh, no, no, and like sing it how we wrote it. But um, yeah, of course, Timberland. Continuing that dominance, we kind of talked about that a little earlier with uh, Give It To Me down there at the bottom of the chart, but doing strong. And Carrie Hilson also, you know, having a good set of years as one of the R&B divas out there. What's Carrie Hilson up to these days? Um, there's rumors of new projects. There's always rumors, right? The internet always kind of wonders, but anytime you mention Carrie Hilson, you always get the beehive kind of agitated because... For some, I'm not sure of the reason, but there's always there's always been something between Carrie Hilson and Beyonce. People think the song Diva is about Carrie Hilson. And there's that great clip if you haven't seen it on, <laughs> online. Uh, Carrie Hilson's at a red carpet event. And some magazine, I forget which one, which one it has, I think just has, I hope it's their current issue. And it happens to have Beyonce on the cover. And they're asking her, just on the carpet, you know, where you hold the magazine up. It's just kind of as a photo op or a, a social media post. Like, hey, Carrie reads, you know, a billboard or whoever. It wasn't billboard. But, you know, whoever it would be. We're not and in the middle of this? Is that what you're no, saying? it's not uh, us, luckily, this time. Um, and so they hand it to Carrie, like, do you mind holding it up? Do you mind? Ha-? And Carrie's just like, no, oh, sorry, I can't can't do it, can't. Like, she doesn't acknowledge that it's Beyonce on the cover. No right. one acknowledges that's the reason. But it's just kind of funny, given all that, that, you know, that Beyonce just happens to be on the cover. And Carrie just happens to be able to not support that endeavor so. So, so there are all these feuds uh, back then there was uh, fergie and nelly furtado and apparently beyonce and carrie hilson yeah but again funny how they you know they're never all out beefs they keep it keep it classy keep it behind the scenes well so i'll uh, i'll say billboard brought together uh, beyonce and lady gaga though they met at women in music and that wound up uh, with them collaborating telephone becoming a huge hit so billboard brings people together <laughs> that that'll be the new slogan and billboard bringing people together it'll be um it'll be our our um our sort of contribution to the resistance movement out there i guess all right we're up to the top five now uh 10 years ago this week Ooh, check them out
like in New York City. I'm a thousand miles away, but girl, tonight you look so pretty. Yes, you do. Times Square can shine as bright as you. I swear it's true. Right, we saw him in the top 15. How about now seeing him in the top five? We got T-Pain's Buy You a Drink, Shorty Snappin' with Young Jock. And if you think T-Pain, I think most people probably think of this as the song. It's just such a good such a good track. I mean, that's all you can really say. It's such an easy song to bounce along to. Um, I mean, you got the little sort of snap melody back there, Shorty Snappin'. And it really you know, solidified T-Pain, especially as that auto-tune pioneer that right. we know him to be. Yeah, former number one hit at this point. Ten years later, I uh, wonder how much of that holds up. Okay, the sound, the sound, it does sound like dated, but it's not in a bad way. There's something still kind of, because I guess auto-tune in, in a way, I guess with sounding futuristic or something in general, you never feel like it sounds old. You don't, in, you in don't hear it anywhere now on that level. It, it was used so much then that you just don't hear it in hits now like you did then. Yeah, but it, I mean, I guess it doesn't sound sort of like robotic and like the Will I Am kind of way. It sounds a little more melodic, I think. Cause, and, you know, this is something that also goes kind of unrecognized. T-Pain is a great singer without the auto-tune. If you haven't seen his Tiny Desk concert, check that out. He was in Billboard a couple years ago in the office. Shout out to T-Pain and his vocals, which are, I think, in my opinion, underrated. Keep on moving on to number four. On this week's chart back in 2007, uh, we, again, someone we mentioned a little earlier in the podcast and I've kind of referenced here without, this will be our final Fergie mention, Big Girls Don't Cry, which is on its way up the chart. Eventually, we'll hit number one a little later in the summer as the fourth song uh, released off of the Duchess album we had mentioned, Glamorous, was the third song, number one hit there as well, Big Girls Don't Cry, picking up right where Glamorous left off and a big a big shift for Fergie because the first three songs had been a little more a little more hip hop rhythmic focused um Will I Am had produced all three of those he produced this song as well but this song is much more of an adult you know ballad from Fergie oh, something yeah. we hadn't heard before no and this is you know i remember at the time thinking this and and you know, she'd had all these young sounding songs both with uh, black eyed peas and then uh, the first singles from the duchess this was the adult single and she made that leap from from the younger side of pop music to adult audiences really not that different from madonna going back to 1985 when crazy for you came out after you know like a virgin and all the the, the controversial Material girl yeah all that, all that sound uh, adult audiences uh, saw a totally different side the the singer side and adult themes and lyrics and great ballad overall but this is really a song that i, I think really helped uh, bring her to such a, a newer level that again would help uh, the black eyed peas be so big after that and, of course, a shout-out to kind of a random piece of chart trivia, but I think something that's kind of fun is obviously the song Big Girls Don't Cry hitting number one. There was also another song called Big Girls Don't Cry that hit number one way back when by the Four Seasons back in the 1960s, it yeah. would have been. Yeah. Um, so kind of one of those fun instances where it's not the same song that hit number one, but they share the same title. So kind of a rare occurrence, too. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find some, a similarity here. Again, Billboard's bringing people together. Uh, both Katy Perry. See how, see how that's caught on already? Yeah, it's yeah, so catchy. Uh, Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift have both had songs in, in recent years that borrow the titles of earlier hits. 
Bad Blood, Taylor Swift, was a number one in the 70s. Different song. Oh, yeah, by Neil Sedaka. Neil Sedaka. Yeah. And California Girls, spelled with the U, Beach Boys. So there's something that Katie and Taylor could agree on. <laughs> Barring a little I guess they'd have to agree on some facts. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll start with, if we ever get them in the same room, start with that. And they figure out you're similar. the same planet. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on to number three this week. Ooh, a classic kind of that I think most people, I don't know, most people remember that Hey There Delilah was massive at the time. The Plain White Tees coming in at number three. The song also climbing up the chart eventually would hit number one as well. You hear all this other uh, stuff we're hearing here in the top 40. It's it, it, a lot of hip hop. Ten years ago, there's some rock. This stands out because it's just a simple little little folk tune, pretty much. Maybe that helped it cut through obviously it was it was so catchy but it really stood out just for it's uh it, it's the more low-key sound yeah i mean i think that's something that you know i definitely agree with because we had seen in the past three four years i mean a huge amount of hip-hop taking over the charts from 50 cent chingy snoop was up in there Ludacris and missy elliott everybody um and this also was kind of that turning point where where pop sort of starts to take back some of the, the ground that it had lost in the early part of the decade I mean, in about a year and a half, we'll see songs like Fireflies by Al City pop right. through. So some things that, you know, in this environment you would never think could be hits just, just you know, stay in the course and making their way up there. And you could even draw a line to uh, Mumford and & Sons and, and some of the whole uh, Lumineers that would come later, at least bringing back folk in, in some ways to, to pop hits. So this was sort of an early uh, ver- version of that for, for the late 2000s. I guess you kind of always do have that one song a year that sort of pops through. Maybe in like 06 it was Bad Day. From, by Daniel Powder, getting some help from Idol. Right. You're Beautiful by James Blunt at the same time. So maybe the plain YTs are just, you know, riding that wave up. All right. But they are, of course, at this point, at least blocked by, uh, I mean, I guess what's a combination of rap and rock in a sense. Uh, the Shop Boys party like a rock star. So obviously, I think, I'm sure everybody remembers kind of the somewhat original dance that went with it. You're supposed to do the rock star kind of, you know, the head nod and everything like that. Shop Boys um, just getting a huge hit again. It sounds like another hit that, again, in, in a YouTube era, uh, it could have benefited from that. But again, YouTube was, was pretty new. What was YouTube showing? What, what could you get on YouTube in 2000? Well, what could you order on a YouTube back in the day? <laughs> what is this YouTube? I, I mean, YouTube, I mean, there were all, of course, there's always music around, but I think there was a lot less be, just because, I mean, you got to remember the iPhone is like brand new at this time. So there, were, there weren't a lot of devices in people's hands that could create that kind of content. I mean, people, I think, were doing more like Photoshop and more like image-based stuff at the time yeah. that they were sharing around. And it was definitely um, desktop as opposed to mobile was just yeah. really in its infancy at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think – I mean, people had kind of camera phones for a while, but they couldn't hold the same sign of stuff. You didn't connect to the internet because back then, you know, it was like – oh, the data charge would have been enormous. So, you know, you, you no one really shared that kind of stuff around. So um, it was – I think it was just more, you know – produced content rather than this kind of stuff but you're right i mean had this song been out in the time that sinks were around you could see it being synced to a lot of stuff and that brings us to the number one song on the hot 100 the week of july 14th 2007 uh had been number one for a little while there and holding strong in its get this it's sixth week at number one we got the one the only this.
Uh, of course, summer 2007 belonged to Rihanna, who I will also call Rihanna from here on out, <laughs> who um, is number one with Umbrella for the sixth week. It'll be number one again the following week, so that'll make it seven weeks overall that Rihanna had Umbrella at number one featuring Jay-Z. And kind of fun that this is the, the song we're going to talk about last because, I mean, you look back at Rihanna's career, this was definitely the song that transformed her from star into superstar. Yeah. It was her second uh, number one. So she was at number one a year earlier with SOS. So we talked at the beginning of this podcast how she was uh, back at number 39 with Shut Up and Drive. Uh, reworking New Order, so SOS reworked uh, Soft Cell. This is the song, yeah, that I think really uh, she became the Rihanna we've known since in terms of her sound. First time uh, being in the Grammys winter circle, so that's huge for her, and really gave the momentum to the Good Girl Gone Bad album that we see. We had Umbrella. I mean, Don't Stop the Music is coming pretty soon after this as well. Right. There'll be the reissue that's coming out the following year, so that'll give us Take a Bow and Disturbia. So, you know, Rihanna keeps on piling the hits. Then we'll see, you know, later live your life with T.I. in that same vein. And, I mean, from there, it's just nonstop. And, you know, no one could have known how big she's going to become at this point. Ten years ago, which is not not a huge amount of time, this was her fifth top ten hit. Now she's up to 31 top tens. This is her second number one. She's now up to 14 number ones. She's now third all-time in both of those categories. So third most top tens, third most number ones. No one could have predicted the success she's going to have over these ten years, she was still, you know, really a, a you know, in some ways a new rising artist with Umbrella. And look where she is ten years later, below uh, the Beatles and Madonna for most top tens, and the Beatles and Mariah for most number ones. And I think one of the things that's that's helped Rihanna so much is there are a couple of things, but I think in particular, um, sort of her authenticity is something people love. Is she, I mean, she is just if you follow her on any social media, if you ever see her, she's just a real pop star. I mean, she's not, you know, she doesn't polish it for the camera or try to, you know, act, you know, what she's not. I mean, she just is who she is. She embraces it. And I think people just love that about her. And also, I think people also appreciate, you know, I mean, the diversity of audiences that she brings a lot because, you, you know, she has sort of that obviously that, that, that pop lean where it's just kind of a straight, you know, gloss performance. She's obviously so in demand by so many hip-hop artists to do the features on their tracks. I mean, she's got attitude. She's got that grit. She can do also some things that I think are underrated on her sort of native island sound, songs like Man Down. We right. saw with Work, especially. Right. And there was a year. that to a mainstream audience. And there was a year after four or five seconds, a folk tune with Paul McCartney yeah. and Kanye. Yeah, I mean, she fits right in there as well. Obviously teaming up with legends like you know, Jay-Z, here we see with Umbrella. I mean, two songs with Eminem, both of which went to number one. I mean, so versatile and, and great. We see her even with dance a little bit, Only Girl and some of those songs like that. I mean, she is just, you know, the all-around all-star pop star. And and it was a sign of, of a lasting hit, Umbrella. If you tell someone now that, that you need to grab your umbrella, isn't there a good chance they're going to start singing the, the Ella? The Ella, Ella, Ella. yeah. And it's amazing because this song actually, um, as some people may know, was originally written for Britney Spears. They were going to give it to Britney. She had passed for whatever reason. Um and Rihanna just took it, and the dream said that when he heard Rihanna record the Ella, Ella, Ella part, um, he just knew that that was for her, and that was that. And ever since then, you know, she's been off to the races. And uh, the dream also said that it was uh, sort of a play uh, on reverb. That it was sort of uh, the the, uh, the homemade version of, of reverb. She didn't have the poor man's reverb. Yeah, if, if you couldn't uh, get good reverb, you you have to sing it like that. So it's, it's sort of a little joke that it became probably the most recognizable hook of the song. That's that's all it took. 
All right, so there it is. Ten years ago, Rihanna was number one. Ten years later, Rihanna's still huge. So uh, some things change, some things don't. But uh, well, fun to look back. Also, ten years later, Rihanna's number four. So as we, could, we could be, yeah. yeah, we could be talking about Rihanna being number one once again. All right, so uh, that was that was fun the last couple of weeks. Uh, looking back at 1997, 2007. Maybe we'll do this again on the podcast going forward. Flashback to, to the Hot 100 in, in different years. Yeah, it's kind of fun to see. You know, I mean, especially. Where people have ended up since then. I mean, who's still around? Who was hot at the time? Who you forgot about? I mean, it's always kind of cool to take a trip down memory lane. And hopefully you guys enjoyed walking down with us. All right. So next week, we're back to our usual format. We're going to be looking at the current Billboard Hot 100 uh, Top 10. Can you believe Despacito is still number one? (laughs) We're, we're, We're calling that now. I, I guess. <laughs> uh, oh, hey, I got to say this, uh, Trevor. You know, uh, last, last uh, time we talked about the current Hot 100, a couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about which artist between Drake and Taylor Swift could get to 30 top 10 Hot 100. And I next. noticed that Gary had put up a poll Just on his Twitter. I wanted to see. Um, yeah. So so I said Drake. You said Taylor Swift. I did. I saw we got about 3,000 votes. Yeah. Like it was up there. All right. And Gary... Go oh, ahead and let oh, me know. Did I have to? Who, since you asked. Who people think. No, I'll it was, believe it. It was really close. But uh, Drake, 54%. Taylor Swift, 46%. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Bots. It, all bots. All drizzy bots. That was close. All right. Well, I mean, it's okay because 54% of people are going to be wrong. Taylor, you better not let me down, girl. No, people said the same thing. Drake puts out so much more music, but then uh, you know, Taylor could put out an album with a whole bunch of hits. So who knows? I mean, well, I guess we'll have to to find out. I mean, TS6 is hopefully coming this year, so that'll that'll change the game. All right. Let's uh, since we're back in 2007, what song, Trevor, that wasn't in the top 40 but was on the chart should we close with? Um, I think I'm trying to think if I want something that's that that that's incredibly appropriate 2007. Or just something that was a hit at the time. You know what? We already mentioned Taylor Swift just now. Um, let's look at the number 42 song. So two spots shy of us being able to talk about it. Only her second single at the time. One of the great cuts off of the Taylor Swift debut album. Let's close with Teardrops on My Guitar. I'll put his picture down and maybe get some sleep Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.